With the example of Father Capon, we are given a model of how to be hope to a hopeless world, to be light to a dark world, to be so filled with joy that people desire to be around us. There's an urgency in the world right now. I want to enter the mission territory. In fact, the Lord has called all of us into this battle for souls. He's not given anybody a pass on that. Welcome to the Foxhole. Good morning, everyone. This is Jason Searle, and on behalf of Capon's Men, we thank you for joining us in the Foxhole on the Feast of St. Charles Borromeo, one of the great reformers of the faith and a critical figure at the Council of Trent during the Reformation. Our men's faith formation groups follow the example of Servant of God, Father Emil Capon, a priest from Kansas, that lived the gospel in a simple daily life, all the way through his heroic actions on the battlefields and the prisoner of war camps in Korea, where he eventually died at the hands of his captors. Although Father Capon was ordered to safety during the Battle of Insan, his response to accompany his men during the battle that ensued and their subsequent capture resulted in Father Capon becoming the most highly decorated chaplain in the United States Army history. His faithful service to our Lord and unwavering commitment to courageously inspire all those around him was an example we would all like to emulate. This week, we're honored to have Chris Benzinger, who is first and foremost the son of God, husband to Michelle, and a father to six children, ages 6 to 18. After graduating from the University of Notre Dame and working for two years as a financial analyst, Chris decided to take a one-year leave of absence from his finance position to serve as a parish youth minister. A one-year leave turned into 20 years of Catholic mission and ministry in the United States, Austria, and Mexico. A few years ago, Chris and his family moved to Pensacola, Florida, to lead the newly formed Office of Mission and Evangelization for the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. Before I turn it over to Joe, I want to remind everyone that you can find all our faith formation resources at capensmen.com. Joe Ferris is going to lead us with a prayer, and with this, it's an honor to introduce and welcome Chris and Joe. Good morning, brothers, and thanks for joining us in the foxhole. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Jason, and thank you, everyone. We took some time today to to log into the call or to download the podcast. What an honor it is to spend a few minutes with you, and I am confident that today you will walk away encouraged and inspired, not only in what you're doing in your day-to-day life, but in how to take the gospel out in a real way to really share the, the, the message of Jesus with those people around you. The gospel today, if you read the gospel, and I try every morning to read the gospel and to read the Psalms and to really pray over the words of Jesus, and this morning in particular, Jesus talks about calculating the cost. What does it cost you to follow Jesus? And as I reflected on it this morning in prayer, I started to think about what is the cost if I don't follow Jesus? Like to me personally, do I live a life of stress and anxiety, of, of having to be in control of every situation, or do I give to Jesus all of that? And I'm able to kind of quietly and gently make my way through the world confident that he's in control ultimately of everything. You know, do I give my family over to Jesus? Do I, do I remove from them the, the short-sighted view and, and, and stand back with them and show them the long view? And that is that I desire to be with my family for eternity in heaven. You know, have I calculated the cost of me not following Jesus in the world? We were all created for this moment. And how am I going to respond to that? And so as I prayed, 
I just got more and more excited for this call and for our time together. So let, let's enter into prayer, and let's really invite Jesus into our hearts in a new way. And let's look at the cost, first of us following, but even more, the cost of us not following. And sometimes I think we even put ourselves in a position where we're working against ourselves and we're not allowing the one who created us to be in charge. So in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, I love you so much, and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you, to love you. Um, I thank you, Lord, for the, the moments you give me each day uh, to enter more fully into what it means to be a man, what it means to be fully alive, what it means to be a follower of yours. I pray, God, that you show those listening to this call this morning the advantage and the power and the beauty that you bring to our day-to-day -day life when we give our lives over to you. I pray, Lord, for the person listening right now who may be struggling and not seeing the benefits of following you. I pray that after our time together, Lord, that they renew that, that, that call. They renew that commitment. And they allow you, Jesus, to be in charge of everything. They take a long view and realize that eternity with you would be the most successful life we could ever have. And that, Lord, would be the legacy we'd want to leave to our children, our children's children, Ask all these things for the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of my, my mother Mary. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, we have a guest today who is a big hitter in the Catholic Church. I am, I am so excited that you're going to get a chance to get to know him a little bit and hear some of the things he talks about, some of the things he does. If you were looking at the six degrees of Catholic separation, you would not be able to find the head of a ministry anywhere, I would argue anywhere in the world, but for sure anywhere in the United States, that at least wasn't directly taught by Chris or indirectly through some of the people they work with. I can personally tell you that my ministry, Chris has had a profound effect on the things I do day to day, the decisions I've made, and the way that I move in and out of this crazy church world. So friends, if we can, let's welcome, I know you're out there somewhere, I just want to welcome Chris Benzinger to the Foxhole. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be here with you, brother. Uh, you, you are, you're a superstar, so I'm honored. I feel like i got this Catholic celebrity on the other end of the line. I watched the Fourth Man movie. You are now even more of a Catholic superstar uh, because you, you spoke about your conversion in an articulate way. And if you haven't watched it, those listening, go watch the Fourth Man movie. Okay, there's a little bit of an advertisement there. But, Chris, for our audience, <laughs> Break open a little bit, because uh, you spoke eloquently about your conversion. Break open a little bit about your faith journey uh, up until now. Yeah, I was, I, I mean, I, I had a, with the typical Midwestern Catholic family, parents both involved in Sherp and Crucio and just very, very engaged. I was one of six children. Um, I was blessed, or I don't know if it's blessed or not, but I was uh, very, I was popular in high school. I was an athlete. I had the girlfriend, I had, you know, student government, I was in the top five in my class, you know, academically, and I thought in my little, my little Midwestern town world, <clears throat> as a senior in high school, I had, I had everything in my mind. Um, I even had faith, like I went to daily mass before school, you know, so from the outside, it would be like, wow, this kid, you know, he's got it, he's got it all. And in fact, one kid in, in my high school even said that to me, you know, um, and yet I still felt empty. Uh, and, and so I went on a retreat, a senior retreat that was required for a senior class. And my older sister, who didn't have uh, all of those things, she was not popular. She did not get good grades. 
Um, she wasn't an athlete. She wasn't in student government. She didn't have any of those things. And I, I almost kind of looked down on her a little bit. And, um, and so she's standing up at this retreat giving this talk about this personal relationship, this relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And, and then turned and shared with, in front of all my peers how much she loved me. And, man, what I realized in that is that I thought I had everything the world had to offer, even in faith, and I realized that I was missing the only thing that really mattered, and that was a relationship with this person uh, that is Jesus. So that kind of began a new stage of my journey and made everything else, all the other things that I was doing, even going to, going to Mass and, and doing, doing good things, come to life in a whole new way. So that was the beginning. I, I'm still learning, still growing how to, how to take all the beautiful treasuries that we have as Catholics and root them in this relationship. And it's like it, it, they come to life in a whole new way. So that was the beginning, and I, I would still say I'm a, a, you know, a young kid on the journey just still learning. Uh, well, Chris, we used to have a lot of things in common until that top five in your class. Uh, I clearly had none of that in common with you. <laughs> um, but but I, I want to I talk about the fact a little bit from that into your life as a, a director and, and, and a person who formed, has formed missionaries. You know, our family, when we were praying over becoming full-time missionaries, chose Life Team specifically because we wanted to study and learn and pray with you and your family. Um, the process you used for us was, it, it seemed almost like it was off the cuff, but I also am pretty pretty sure that you had done a lot of work on the back end of that. So, and, and you've used it to form young adults all over the United States. Uh, so talk to us a little bit of how you go from that, that early on relationship with Jesus to this whole process that you developed uh, to form disciples. Yeah, well, we, it was very simple. It, it just came down to uh, prayer, community, and mission. And really, you know, John Paul II talked about being contemplative in action. And so, uh, so we developed a rule of life uh, for our community who lived at, uh, up at that camp, uh, loosely based on the rule of St. Benedict. It was basically a lot of scripture and then how to apply, how to apply that to our, to our, everyday, uh, our everyday life. Um, and so when we talked about prayer, it was personal prayer with the person of Jesus, because that was part of my conversion, person of Jesus, and then communal prayer. Uh, we did liturgy of the hours and morning prayer, evening prayer, and then night prayer. Uh, community life. Uh, everyone, the single men lived in a household, the single women lived in a household, and then the families, like the Pharisees and the Benzingers, lived in their own homes, but were applying this uh, life of prayer and community in their own home. And then what John Paul II said is like a, a real uh, intentional life of prayer and community launches us into mission, launches us into outreach, not only outreach and love for one another, uh, but for local community and then even missions abroad. So it was that simple, simple formula that we, um, that we lived by. And it's, and it's interesting, the camps and the mission staff, you know, we left the camp five years ago, are still living by this rule of life. In fact, one of my boys, uh, my kids were pretty young uh, when, we, um, when we lived there, and they're now all old enough to go to middle school or high school camp. And uh, they, they came back, so they went to camp uh, two summers ago and uh, came back and said, Dad, these, these college students, these missionaries, they're amazing, and they, <clears throat> they live by this amazing rule of life. You know, we should, we should adopt a rule of life like that. 
And, um, you know, they, they were young enough to know that, like, we, that's what they lived by that rule of life since they were babies. Um, so that was very, you know, gratifying to, to hear. But the one thing that we did particularly with discipleship is that we used the quote, and I know Joe and I love this, this quote together, and it's from St. Irenaeus, and it's, the glory of God is man fully alive. So what we did is that we, each person at camp would have somebody that we call a discipler or someone that accompanies everyone else. Everyone has somebody to journey with on a one-on-one basis um, in addition to their household and the greater community. And so we would get together regularly and just ask, um, ask, how is God inviting you into living a more fully alive prayer life, both, both personally and communally? How is God inviting you into be, being more fully alive in community life, in your household, you know, when somebody doesn't squeezes the toothpaste instead of rolls it, or if someone, you know, doesn't replace the toilet paper roll or leaves hair in the shower, whatever, just those human things of how are we loving in, in communal life um, and then in the greater Cocrest community. And then finally, how are we fully alive in our mission, both serving the camp, everything from taking out the garbage and cleaning toilets when we don't want to, um, to really serving the retreat groups and the summer camps that would come, um, to, and people would actually come to this place to experience Jesus. So if we weren't experiencing Jesus and filled up, then we were, uh, we were limiting their ability to do that. So we wanted to make sure that everyone is, was as fully alive uh, in, the, in the day-to-day and in their prayer and everything else as much as they could be. And what I found personally is that when I, when I entered into this the prayer prayer with the person of Jesus, sacraments came alive in a whole new way. And I know there's a lot of men out there that you've probably, like me, been faithful Catholics for a long time. And uh, you're like, gosh, you know, some days I just feel empty. Well, I would encourage you by my witness to enter more into the person of Jesus and watch the sacraments come alive. Um, And in communal life, it, it was really this commitment. We weren't perfect. Everyone made mistakes. But it was no matter what, we are committed to being journeying with each other um, through the good times and the bad. And uh, great community is not communal events. Um, it, it, great community comes from a group of people who love one another very well on a person-to-person basis. And, and the last thing is, is just in doing all that, what we're doing when we walk with one another is we're entering into each other's story. And in, in each each person's story, it's not like we have to fix the bad parts of our story so that God will love us. It's like God wants to, wants to use the, especially the challenging things that we've had in our life as seeds for his glory to come about in a in, in, in whole new way. Um, so it's really just entering into someone's story and not sharing airtime or waiting for that person when you're in a conversation to stop talking so that you can tell your story that's you know, it's almost like the fish story. Oh, you caught a one-foot fish? Well, mine was 18 inches. Like, oh, yeah, well, mine, it's not about one-upping each other. It's about, I'm just going to, well, tell me about that 12-inch fish. You know, what does it look like? But just stay in, in somebody else's story. And you'll be amazed, and I was amazed, at how, how gratifying it is for me even to stay in Joe's story, um, you know, as we, as we walk together. So that, that's how, um, it, it's pretty simple but it really just takes the intentionality. No, I mean, I think I can personally witness, it or witness to it as well and say it's like nothing I had ever experienced, and it also was something that I 
grew deeper in my faith I'd ever thought I could go. And, and I hear you talk about story in particular, and it brings up in me. I, I can remember walking down the path, and your ability to stop, to look at me, to listen, and to be totally focused, even though I knew you had somewhere to be, or maybe I didn't, I figured you had somewhere to be. And I think that style of discipleship is super attractive, especially for the people listening to this call. So I'd I, I love it, Chris, if you could tell us maybe a story of how in, in real life you put that into practice, not just my little story in the past, but even more than that, uh, how someone today listening can go and immediately put into practice engaging another person in their story. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of people, when they would come to Covecrest, they'd say, oh, yeah, I can see how you all can do that, but you live at a camp. And so the big question was, is it translatable? And, you know, so five years ago when Michelle and I prayed about uh, really coming down the mountain, um, you know, literally and figuratively, and can we live this disciple, this intentional discipleship accompanying model in, um, in neighborhoods and in uh, suburbs and in those sort of things. So what we did is when we moved to Pensacola, um, we gathered, I gathered a group of five young adult men, um, and we would meet every couple weeks on my front porch, and we'd really just focus on identity. Um, really that we are first and foremost beloved sons of the Father. And um, I used a, a resource from a priest that I, that I went on a retreat, and it was just, it, it was ten reflections on different ways that the Father sees us as beloved son. And, and I noticed this one guy, I'm going to call him Bob uh, for the sake of, <laughs> if he or anybody else listens to this, uh, locally, but I'm going to call him Bob, and, and he was a young adult that was um, uh, really wrestling. I could see him. He, he really wanted to be there, um, but I saw him wrestling with this idea of being a beloved son, and, um, you know, he went to Catholic schools. He went to Mass every Sunday. He actually is a teacher in a Catholic school, but he, he said, he said, Chris, this idea that God is just, I'm his beloved son it's just not been my experience. I don't, I don't feel that. And, um, and he felt empty. And then I thought back to, you know, if you think back to my story in high school, I was like, wow, that sounds familiar. So, so I just committed in my, in my heart. I was like, I'm, I'm walking with this dude. I'm just going to be there for him. And so we would literally every few weeks we go on walks still to this day. And my walk with him is not about advice. Um, it's not about him, me telling him what the Catholic Church teaches. I'm doing that in my heart. I'm praying. I'm, I'm offering his, his intentions up when I go to Mass. I'm praying for him. Um, but the main thing was is that I, I, I said, Bob, I am, I am with you. No matter what, I'm just going to walk with you. And we walked through, you know, he, he knew all the Catholic stuff, and, but was frustrated that it didn't, that it didn't, it wasn't his experience to know this loving God. And so we walked through doubt, we walked through his fears, we walked through his frustrations, we walked through his anger, and I didn't push. And sometimes I didn't even pray with him, but I always prayed for him. And uh, last week, you know, it's been years, and, uh, and, it, and it's almost like it got worse before it got better. And last week he called me and he's like, Chris, I think I'm starting to get it. I think I'm starting to get it. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes to think because, you know, he, we are all made for this intimate, intimate relationship with the Lord. And, um, and man, when people get it, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it. So, 
how can how can we all do this? I mean, it's it's as simple as inviting a friend to coffee or grab a beer and ask them about their story and stay in their story. Don't come back with your own story, but stay in their story and see how deeply you can dive into their story and watch how impactful it is for someone when you really stay in your, their story and don't just compete, you know, throw back and forth competing stories. Because really, I, I think what's missing oftentimes in our, in our Catholic experience is the human aspect. We need to be more human. Um, and when we do that, we will find God there, and it brings to life all the beauty and treasury that we have in our Catholic faith and our devotions and our novenas and our everything else. No, I, I... I think that is that's solid stuff that someone can start you know, as soon as they get off this call. So, Chris, you you mentioned trying to take the Covecrest experience that you put together, and I guess take it on the road and see if it'll work in the world. How's that been in Pensacola? Like, how's it been to take that? And, and I'm sure it's been some successes and some struggles. Share with us a little bit of that. Yeah, it's definitely been a struggle because I we had I had prayed uh, for this group of men for uh, probably a, the first year I prayed for uh, a group of men to get together and we finally made it happen. And then in the meantime, like last year, we thought um, Michelle had this, my wife Michelle, had this vision of, of greenhouse. And if you think about a greenhouse, it's it, um, a nursery-style greenhouse. You bring in plants that are either newly formed or broken, or uh, and, and you get the right sunlight, the right nutrients, the right soil, the right water, for the sake of being replanted out in the world, uh, not for the sake of staying in the greenhouse. You know, so our whole our whole ministry that we try to build is about is about building and forming people to group, to bloom where they're planted, not to build a big ministry. Um, so two years ago. Uh, we had one woman, young adult from Cove Crest, a missionary from Cove Crest, moved down here to work with us. And then over the course of, uh, of, of about three months, uh, she invited another young adult friend, and then, that, and then that friend invited the third, and the third invited the fourth, and the fourth invited the fifth. And just by having porch time and entering into their, their stories, they all said, can we come here and move to Pensacola and, and be – formed as a, as, a, as a big family. So uh, we formed this Pensacola Greenhouse community, and it's not the, them joining the Benzinger family. It's the Benzinger family and these five young adults who committed to living life together. Um, and so Michelle and I, we would do formation, and the, the formula was so simple. It was uh, we, once a week we gather for formation, all of, a lot about identity and prayer and community, um, what we were doing, similar to what we were doing at Covecrest, a little bit different, but similar. And then, so they'd have a once-a-week commitment there. We would do a Sunday family dinner, big family dinner uh, with everybody. They would have a scripture so that we could really dive into this per- the person of Jesus, that they would read, we would do Lectio Divina, so we would pray the same scripture for an entire week, uh, in addition to their other prayer commitments, but this was our communal commitment. And then when we gathered on, on uh, family dinner, we would break open how is the Lord speaking to us through his word and how is he speaking to us through us being intentional community uh, together. And then Michelle and I would meet with them on a monthly basis, and then they would also have peer meetings. So it was a way that they could – they all have jobs. They all have – you know, they, they pay rent. They have car payments. They do all these things. But it was, it was uh, a simple formula 
and it was transformative uh, for them. So now what we're doing is we spent a whole year, a school year, in October to a June doing that. Um, and now in December 1st, we're going to launch a what we call Greenhouse 101 so that anybody, any of you, anybody uh, around the, the country, around the world can say, how do I – how do I even begin? Where do I begin? I don't have that kind of community here. How do I begin? So we're going to put together just a little um, toolbox that says, how do you start a prayer life, a simple prayer life like this? How do you start a little communal life like this? How do you, um, um, uh, you know, praying group Lexio Divina? Um, and then how to tell your story. And then finally, uh, a personal growth plan. How do we make sure that we're, we're intentionally tracking with God in every aspect of our lives, our family, our work, our neighborhoods, our activities. And uh, so we're really excited about just making it accessible and sharing it. And if it works for people, um, works for people, great. Uh, Chris, I could talk to you all day about all this stuff because I, I know it's working because I know people that have been down and people have spent time with you in Pensacola. I want to – I think I would be upset with myself if I didn't at least – ask you a little bit around the parish because a lot of the work you're doing in Pensacola is not just in the community but it's in the parish as well and you challenged me in a deep way um, about moving from this safe haven approach to parish to this launching pad uh, approach mm -hmm. to the parish and so do you mind just sharing a few minutes maybe a little bit about mindset of that and just how can a parish do more of this because I know you do a lot of that in your day-to-day -day work as well. Right, yeah, thanks. So I, my primary job is to work with pastors and help them uh, create cultures of evangelization. Uh, so we, I, I intentionally avoid activities and events, and I really try to help uh, parishes from the inside out form cultures where we're living this. Um, so, but especially during the pandemic time, you know, the, the, the face of a parish has, has changed greatly, how people engage with their parish. And every pope since Vatican II, and maybe before, but since in my lifetime, has really been um, talking about the parish being a, either a community of communities or uh, outposts, John Paul II called it outposts of the Great Commission, um, and, and, and that's where that idea of kind of a launch pad, it's a place to go to be formed, almost like greenhouse. We, green, we're not trying to build a greenhouse ministry. We're trying to build people that are going to go and do whatever God has in store for them. And that's really, I think, what, a, what parishes are designed uh, to be. Unfortunately, they've kind of become, in, in the midst of uh, our cultures, becoming less and less Christendom and, and more and more kind of apostolic. We um, are um, more and more like the Acts of the Apostles, even, uh, when Christendom wasn't popular. And, you know, you're seeing churches burn and, and vandalism and all that sort of thing. So um, it's a different kind of uh, culture that we're in now. And so I, following the lead of the popes, what if parishes were more like mission bases of the Great Commission, where people would be fed by the sacraments, which is really, in my mind, I've been really thinking about what's the, what's the main thing a parish can do and possibly the only thing that a, that, that a parish can do that I can't do as a layperson, and that's the sacraments. So what if, what if parishes did sacraments really well and maybe stopped doing a lot of these other things that, that are just the peripheral kind of things but really 
focus, or at least not focus on them as much, but really focus on doing sacraments really well. What if, what if baptismal prep was, a, was an opportunity for a conversion for an entire family? What if First Communion wasn't about the, the, the dress and the veil and the suit and the party afterwards, but it was really about conversion for an entire family? I remember sitting in my own, my, one, of my, one of my younger kids was in uh, First Communion prep, and I remember I went to a parent meeting, and, and, and the person leading that was almost like, I, I won't keep you very long, you know, just here's how long the dresses have to be, and here's when to show up, and and I just thought, gosh, what a great opportunity, even just to ask the parents. And, and maybe I should have done it, stood up and said, parents, do you remember your first communion? What was it like? You know, and, and it's an opportunity. So what if sacraments were, um, and, and sacramental prep was a conversion engine for an entire family? And the last thing I'll say about that is that in our, there is a parish here in our diocese that is moving RCIA to a two-year program where the sacraments are in the middle so that it's not a graduation, it's not an end, but it's the sacraments are a, a deeper nourishment for a life, a full life in Christ as a Catholic. Um, so I just feel like in the midst of us emerging from a pandemic, if we really in our parishes focused on what was most important and things that only parishes can do, and let that then build every, all the other activity on that, I think that it would be a, a, a very exciting, engaging church where people are more living it out in their families and in their communities and in the neighborhoods. Uh, that, that makes perfect sense, and for sure being launched, uh, the sacraments are the, are the thing to do that. So, Chris, I'm going to ask you to give, give our audience uh, some ways they can connect with you, some of the ministry you're doing as well, and then if you will, um, pray us out of here. So for sure, a little bit about how folks can connect with you and then a prayer. And then as you know, Scott will come in on the back end. But it is always an honor to speak to you. It's always an encouragement and always a good challenge and inspiration. Uh, no, I'm praying for you. No, I'm praying for your ministry. Um, and I just thank you again for the time in the foxhole. So tell us how to connect with you and pray us out of here. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Very simply, uh, greenhousecollective.org is the ministry that we're growing. Like I said, we're going to launch December 1st with this whole new initiative for how people can actually do this um, around the world. You can email me at chrisb at greenhousecollective.org if you would like, uh, like to ask any questions or if I can help you in any way. Um, yeah, that's, that's the main place. Um, and if you have any questions even about the work that I do with parishes and priests and dioceses and uh, even beyond that. So, um, yeah, I'm thankful to be here. Thank you for, for all of you who are listening and praying for you. And let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, your love for us. We thank you that you are a loving Father and that we are your beloved sons. Lord, I uh, just ask a blessing over these, uh, over these men and these people who, who are listening at this time and, and ask a blessing on them, their, their sonship, uh, their vocations, and all the people that they interact with today, I pray that, that, that you present, Lord, opportunities and give us ears, and, ears to listen and eyes to see, opportunities to engage with one another in a, in a, in a deeper way. I pray for our parishes that, we can, uh, that they can really be outposts of the Great Commission uh, so that not just the people that are coming to church get, to, get the beauty of the Catholic faith, but the people that are furthest from your church, because we are the church, Lord, and I ask that you launch us uh, to be those instruments of the Great Commission so that people may know you 
as love. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Chris. Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hi, Chris. Thank you. Um, wow. It was really great to hear from you today. Uh, I think I, there's so many, so many great thoughts, but I, I love your comment that great community comes not from great communal events, but from people loving one another. And I think your dedication to community and walking with others is what we're about here as Capon's men. And I just, I think of all the men that Father Capon walked with and supported both on the battlefield and in the prison camp. And his support was a huge reason why many of them were able to endure the trials that they faced. And it was a witness to many who otherwise wouldn't have any encounter with the faith, who didn't know Christ. In light of just all of this, the challenge for us this week is, you mentioned it, to reach out to someone and really engage in their story. Uh, This might be someone that uh, you've walked with in the past but haven't talked to lately, or maybe it's someone new that you feel the Spirit has been tugging you to reach out to. But either way, reach out to them and, and try and go deep into their story. Stay in that story, as Chris encouraged us, and be willing to follow follow up with them as the Spirit leads you. And the cool thing is, like, that's evangelization. It doesn't have to be rocket science. So let's get out there and, like Chris and Father Capen, invest in other people's stories. Our next episode of The Foxhole will be on Veterans Day and will be honored to be joined by Bishop Richard Spencer, who is one of the auxiliary bishops for the Archdiocese of the Military Services. Uh, Bishop Spencer encountered Father Capen's story as a young military police soldier while serving in South Korea. And through Father Capon's witness, he was encouraged to answer his own call to the priesthood and chaplaincy. He shared Father Capon's story to many soldiers across the world, and he currently serves as the vicar for uh, military personnel in the eastern half of the United States. So he's, he's excited to be able to join us uh, next week for Veterans Day, and we hope you guys will be able to as well. And then also, that evening, yours truly will be appearing on EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa. Uh, to talk about Father Capon's life and his cause for sainthood. So if you want to tune in, that will be at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Central, either on EWTN on TV, or you can watch at EWTN.com. A big thanks to all of you uh, for listening today. We're honored, really, to be fighting on the front lines of faith with you. And until next time, stay humble, stay courageous, and may Father Capon pray for all of us. Thanks for joining us in the foxhole. As we go, we're blessed to leave you with these words from Father Capon himself. We can surely expect that in our own lives there will come a time when we must make a choice between being loyal to the true faith or of giving allegiance to something else which is either opposed to or not in alliance with our faith. O God, we ask of thee, to give us the courage to be ever faithful to thee. Blessed are they who suffer persecution for justice' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of you. Amen.